listening to the voices behind Women's Cricket Chat. That's Alex, Hannah, Georgie and Cassie. Coming up on today's podcast, we've got former Australian cricketer and current USA Women's head coach, Julia Price. Now we talked to Julia about all things cricket, how she's aiming to grow the sport in the US and also the tough times she suffered with her cancer diagnosis and losing her mother and her brother and what it was like to be adopted as well as talking about her journey into cricket and finding out and starting to learn cricket when she was in her final school years. Welcome Julia Price to Women's Cricket Chat today with me Georgie and Alex alongside me. So Julia, you have been a World Cup winner, you've been a trailblazing Aussie player, you coached a men's side in the Big Bash as the first person to do that, and now you are leading the USA women into almost uncharted territory in the World Cups. We've got T20 and 50 over coming up, so welcome to Women's Cricket Chat. You know everything we're about, but we're here to talk about you today. Thanks, Georgie. Yeah, no, it's... um. It's, uh, it's been an interesting um, sort of life, I suppose, to date, and, um, and that's what I'm about. It's about keeping things interesting, but at the same time challenging myself and, and others as well. So, yeah, it's been, it's been good fun. Yeah, so obviously you first got into cricket. You know, you're, you're coaching a bunch of youths now at the moment, but you didn't get into it until you were in year 12 at school. So tell us a bit about how you got to that point and suddenly cricket was your calling. Yeah, well, it's um, I used to I went to a school called Somerville House, which was sort of right in the middle of Brisbane, and it was pretty much walking distance from the Gabba. So a group of us used to go down and watch the cricket after school, a fair bit all the time, and we'd all you know pretend that we were different players. I think for some I think I was Craig McDermott for some reason, but I did find out not long ago actually one of my friends who is not really a cricket buff. She was thinking that she was trying to pretend she was Dean Jones and she only found out recently that he was a batter and not a bowler. So he probably just really explained that we didn't really have that bigger, well, a few of my friends didn't uh, have the drive for cricket as much as I did, but um, I actually didn't start until I finished school. So I finished school in 88 when uh, I saw the, um, I was down in Melbourne with my family and I just saw the um, World Cup on TV and I got to see the, uh, the Australian women win the World Cup so I was like I didn't even know women played cricket at that stage so the next year I signed up and just kept going from there absolutely loved it played a lot of cricket you know with kids in my backyard in Australia as you do and um, but yeah nothing formalized until after I'd finished school but um, so glad I just happened to turn the TV on that day and, and watch the women's game. That's what we love as well that's very that's literally a personification of see it be it. Exactly. You know you literally no idea see it on TV right I'm gonna do that here we are, a couple of decades later, you've got this incredible career behind you and you're leading a bunch of youngsters to follow in your footsteps. And that's just amazing. So looking at your story as a youngster, obviously you, I see you don't like to mention that you were born in Sydney because you're a Queenslander through and through. I actually did spend some time in Sydney, so I'm not going to take that one, but I did like Queensland. <laughs> so warmer, less rain, nice area. Right. I don't really rock the maroon in the same kind of way, you know. State of origin, you, I'd, I'd be a New South Walesa. Apologies. Oh, but yeah, yeah that's not nice. one. But yeah, so yeah, so you were you d- didn't know your birth parents, I gather, and you were adopted into the Queensland life, you and your brother. So what was it like 
growing up, did you play a lot of backyard, like you said? Were you and your brother quite tight and play cricket just with any kind of anything that was going? Pretty much, yeah. My, my brother probably didn't, he wasn't really as into sport as I was. He was more of sort of an arty type. So he'd come out every now and join in, but generally it was just me and the other kids in the neighbourhood, whoever you'd find to play some cricket. So it was just a typical Australian upbringing, I think. And, and like you said, the, the weather in Queensland certainly allows a lot of outdoor activities. So, yeah, there's plenty of, uh, played a lot of rugby. My parents are Victorian, so I actually... You know, in, I was probably one of the only kids that really followed Australian football at that stage, so a bit of Aussie rules. So I was mucking around with that as well. And I followed Carlton, which is a Victorian team again. So, And, of course, the football wasn't really on TV every weekend like it was in the rest of the country for, for AFL, but that's obviously changed now, being a nationwide state uh, sport now. But, uh, yeah, I played a lot of um, what you would perceive as male support, sports, I suppose, at the time, which was, you know, the rugby and Aussie rules and, you know, we played Red Rover and foursome backs and just as many male-dominated games as possible. So, and cricket was one of those at the time. It just wasn't really one of those accepted female games, despite it, you know, having a, a fairly extensive history, you know, back to 35 when they played the first Australian game against England. So, but again, completely unaware of it, which maybe is not a bad thing. It sort of just allowed me to enjoy lots of different sports and, and particularly cricket and just the the beauty of playing the game and just loving the the game itself. So, yeah, a fairly, fairly normal upbringing, played a bit of tennis, uh, didn't really play netball. Netball was sort of the sport for girls in Australia at the time and for some reason I just didn't really get into it as much. But I was, yeah, probably more into athletics and and and, and softball was a big one as well, obviously, as I, as I was sort of growing up. You just mentioned there that you played a lot of sports growing up, softball, athletics, the works. What drew you to cricket and made you decide this is what I want to do as a career? Well, I'm not sure if it was a career choice. And at the point I decided, I just wanted to play it. I, I think as an Australian, you know, I've, I've been to the, my parents being Victorian, I've been down to the Boxing Day test a couple of times and just the whole event and how the whole country used to get behind the Australian team. And, you know, obviously uh, World Series cricket when that started in 77 and, uh, you know, I was only five at the time when that started, but it was just so exciting this, what was happening with the game and it was progressive and, um, you know, there was so much competition, you know, rivalry between Australia and England or Australia and the West Indies. It was, you know, so exciting to be part of, of something like that. I don't know if there was another sport that I could see live that sort of captured me as much as as, as the game of cricket. I, I think at the time it was just the spectacle. But once I actually started playing the game, you know, it was actually the strategy and the sort of the subtleties of the game that you don't really, you, maybe you don't see as a spectator quite so much that I that I really enjoyed. So it just became this this entire game that consumed my life after I after I um, left school and started playing it. And so you say you were just drawn to it like that, and then obviously you became a wicketkeeper. Is that something you just fell into, or were you always like, you know what, this is going to be my kind of place? No, I, I actually wanted to be a bowler. And um, for anyone who's seen me bowl, well, they're probably extremely, I'm, I'm very lucky to have gone as far as I did because I would never have gone that far as a bowler. But I used to practice in my front yard on my own, just bowling into a, the next door neighbor's garage. And my, my bowling action sort of, you know, when you bowl off the wrong foot and you, uh, they, you know, they say right arm over left ear hole is my bowling style. So I was so excited about bowling and I thought it was great fun. And then our, uh, we could keep a left in our team after the, I think it was the second year that I'd started playing and um, no one else wanted to do it. And I thought, well, I'll just give it a bash and see how I go. I'd done a little bit of catching when I was at, at school as a softballer. 
which is completely different over even though it seems the same it actually is completely different but yeah I really enjoyed it I just I don't know I found that I was in every in every ball and so involved in the game and you can have input and you could see so much that was happening and I just thoroughly enjoyed being the wicket keeper and, and also I'm not a big um, look at me sort of person and I think the wicket keeper is probably um, you know that that role suits them quite well they sort of have a, an enormous job and a lot of responsibility but not necessarily have to be leading you know, being out front all the time and being the, you know, raising the bat when they get the 100 or the 50 or whatever, or now with the with the five for the bowling, you raise the ball, the wicketkeeper just does their job and gets on with it and sort of is sort of pretty much just involved in the team and blends into that nicely and that sort of suits my personality well. And you've obviously mentioned that you got into cricket quite late in terms of you were in your last formative years of school. What was your journey like to the international stage and what was it like to play with some of the big names like Mel Jones? Big names. Mel, being my best friend, it's always funny when people say that to me. So what was my journey? I sort of, I started back then, we were, we had an under 21 state competition, which was excellent, particularly because considering I started so late, now it's a, an under 19 competition. So I may have missed out on that whole window if, if we'd sort of had the system that we've got now. So I was appreciative of that. So I got to play three years playing for Queensland and end up captaining in the last year of my under 21 years and then went into the the state team state team from there I also got selected for the under 23 national team which again was another you know sort of big step for me to start realizing that maybe I should take this a little bit more seriously at the time I was just like having a great time and playing for the state I didn't really have aspirations to play for Australia I have to admit but again that may have come down to that sort of not necessarily lack of self-confidence but sort of just downplaying a lot of things that I tended to do and just sort of you know, I just wanted to play where I was at and maybe not necessarily put too much pressure on myself to go too far with the game. So, but then got, you know, selected in that under-23 Australian team and got to play with, you know, Karen Rolton and Mel Jones and Olivia Mano, who played for a long time for Australia as well, Joe Gary, who was fantastic. So we had plenty of, you know, good players that came through those teams that I was playing with. Lisa Kitely was in one of the under-23 teams and then, I started playing the senior Queensland team and, and then uh, got selected as soon as Chris Matthews retired after the 95-96 season. So or she retired that, that, that season. So, yeah, a little bit of luck of being in the right place at the right time. Plenty of other good wicket keepers around. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was an exciting journey. But, you know, a lot of pressure on me as well, considering I wasn't – I was still really new to the game. I was still trying to understand it. All the, a lot of the other girls have been playing a lot, you know, through their – sort of teen years and some even you know when they're under eights under nines so I had a lot of catching up to do um, as soon as I got selected there and um, but got plenty of support from the girls and obviously other coaching staff and when I got selected so yeah pretty exciting times and debuted against New Zealand in the Rose Bowl we lost that first game in fact I got a golden duck and we lost the game and I was batting 11 so completely my fault and um, but as Lisa Kitely said Julia it's going to be up 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 for you from here so just to try and get my spirits up and we ended up winning that that Rose Bowl series against New Zealand at the Adelaide Oval. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a it seemed a very quick journey to get to the Australian team, but at the same time, it, you know, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of excitement around it. So it was good. I guess if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So it's one of those things. And I was going to say that too. You know, if you start with a goldie, you can literally only go one way from there. <laughs> you can either make history with two goldies, or you're going to score some runs. So you're doing well there. So obviously, you were, seem to be in the sort of golden excuse the pun, period of Australian women's cricket, which seems to be going on quite a lot. But you've had 
two World Cup wins in there. You've got Ashes victories. What was it like to be part of a side that was just so phenomenal? Yeah, it was it was a privilege. And I, I even at the time knew it was a privilege because I was just involved with such an amazing group. Obviously, Belinda Clark was my captain the whole way through my career. And learnt, I learned so much from her, which I, you know, at the time, Queensland was a very, I don't know, we had we had talent, but we weren't really able to win a lot of things we didn't have a lot of direction in the in the state so having me being picked for Australia I sort of took it upon myself I suppose to sort of try and take back a lot of things that I was learning particularly leadership wise and captaincy wise and take that back to Queensland you know from playing with with Belinda and you know Lisa Kitely and Catherine Fitzpatrick and Charlie Mason and you know oh my god there were so many in that in that group you know Bromwich Calver there were just a huge um, number of players that were so influential and not surprisingly we were, we were so good during that era and what they did was drag me along with them I don't know if they really knew that I was I was probably dragging the chain a little bit but they it, it helped my batting enormously I you know I, I started at 11 like I just said and um, you know eventually I did open the batting once against Ireland just to you know get some batting practice in but generally you know I was, I was starting to push up the order and eventually with Queensland I was batting it sort of either anywhere from opening to four so from being around those girls and I was inspired constantly by them every day and how they went about their training you know they weren't paid it was unprofessional but their drive and their motivation and their commitment to being the best that we could be as a as a unit as and as individuals was um, very very motivational and inspiring to me and probably is still probably the reason that you know I'm, I'm coaching now and I don't allow girls to have any sort of excuses as to why they um, could or couldn't do something you know it's not that you know it's their choice of on how much they choose to commit to, to being the best that they can be and, and contributing to a group as well. So, you know, I've, I've learned so much from, from all the people that I've played with and, and from the different uh, sort of eras I've played through, I suppose, as well. Yeah, and you just touched there on the different eras of cricket that you played in. And now with the women's game, having moved forward even more by bringing in contracts and giving female cricketers the title of professional cricketers what other changes have you seen in Australia in terms of investment and things like that? I went through a couple of organisations I suppose when I first started it was the AWCC which is the Australian Women's Cricket Council you know and obviously it was all funded by themselves they were you know running separately to the the ACB Australian Cricket Association at that stage Australian Cricket Board and then we sort of got some funding and it became the Women's Cricket, Women's Cricket Australia. So that was when we won the, the World Cup in um, 1997. We were under that title at that stage. And then eventually we came under, I think it was around 2000, we came under the ACB or now Cricket Australia. So that in itself made a huge difference because up until then we'd sort of, you'd really struggled to find the resources and the grounds that you're going to play on our state associations weren't ne- necessarily um, collaborative or or aligned. You know, we'd be training on fields out in the back of nowhere and certainly not on turf and access to turf facilities constantly was impossible. Our state uniforms, we had to make ourselves, you know, you had you said your parents or your mother would make your uniform for you, which, you know, is unheard of these days, your travel uniform and all these sort of things. So, you know, and that's sort of right up until about 2000. And as soon as we sort of got on board with Cricket Australia, you know, obviously all the states aligned with the, the state associations, it made a huge difference to, you know, just our our game generally because we had access to the better fields, our fielding improved, generally our trainings, we could we would train a couple of times a week because, again, we had better access, particularly in Queensland because you obviously no daylight savings have to be under lights, so we had to have access to fields and resort facilities that had lights to be able to train under so 
with all of those sort of things, that's that's what made a huge difference to the standard of the, of play. Um, obviously, women's cricket gets criticised a fair bit for you know the standard of some of the play sometimes in the in the women's game, but you know that can be also reflective of the standard of the facilities that they're having access to and and the you know the the coaches that are also coming into that, and and that was a, a big step up. We were very very lucky. When I first started, uh, even in my junior days for Australia, I had John Harmer as my coach for then, and then he got appointed for the senior team as well up until 2000 when I was there. And he's had a huge impact on my life again about the way I coach, but also the way I play and go about the game. And now the girls are getting, you know, because the coaches are getting remunerated much better than they were back then. The the standard of coaching as well has improved enormously, which again is having this kick-on effect with the the standard of of the play that the girls are having now and um, and probably have been for the last sort of 15 years or so. So lots of changes and all for the good, you know, and, and it's going to keep changing. There's still some change that needs to continue to happen, particularly down to domestic level and then at club level. But it's, you know, the way from where it's come from, it's it's made a huge difference in the fact that it's now on TV and girls get to see it and exactly what you said before, you can't be what you can't see. And that's exactly how I managed to somehow sneak under that radar back when they, for some reason, put women's cricket back on TV in 1988 for a one-off. So. Yeah, so huge changes, being able to see it, you know, nearly daily now with the WBBL on TV and the 100, obviously, with you guys. And let's hope it keeps growing around all the countries around the world. Yeah, and so obviously you're part of two World Cup winning sides, but there was a bit of a gap between the two of those. You were dropped for a bit between that. What was it like and how did you fight your way back into that side? Yeah, we um, well, firstly, we lost the 2000 World Cup by four runs against New Zealand, which was horrific. And it was a pain that stayed with me for quite a long time. And whether that was the driving force, I didn't get selected. I did get dropped, which was really disappointing because I'd actually sort of thought I was going along well enough. You know, I hadn't had a bad season. I was averaging mid-30s and, you know, I, I thought I'd been, and my keeping had been, it had been reasonably good, but at the same time, maybe reasonably good and well enough wasn't, I certainly wasn't getting complacent about it. I, you know, I was trying to push myself hard and I missed two tours, I think, in that time. But it just gave me more motivation to to work harder and have better focus and, you know, probably being clear about what I want to do and how I was going to get there. So I was still in the Australian squad. So fortunately still had access to, you know, a lot of the the coaches and the, and the resources that I needed to have in satellite coaching. So I, I really um, I started, I worked a fair bit with Wade Seckham, who was the Queensland t- keeper at the time, um, male men's keeper, and he also, um, I think he was in one of the squads for the Australian team at one stage as well. But So he really sharpened up my keeping. I also did, had a, you know plenty of sessions. I started, I was working casually, so I had plenty of time to devote to, to doing extra training. I was fitter than I'd ever been, ensuring that I was getting, you know, more, batting sessions in than I had previously so just upped everything and then tried to work on how I was actually taking that into games and using club cricket particularly as a real point to to practice these new skills or advanced skills that I was trying to take into other games so by taking them into club cricket where it's probably slightly a lesser standard obviously at club it was then easier to take it into the state um, and the national championships that national league of where we were getting our selection from in the first place and the year that I got reselected happened to be that 2005 World Cup year, so you know I knew there was a lot of pressure on me to do that. But I, I'd also seen it actually. I'd also seen a team so a psychologist as well. I'd forgotten about her. I only did three sessions with her, but it was all I needed, and she was outstanding. Just to because I was I was quite a nervous person. I overthought things. I was really in my head way too much, and I only did three sessions with her. But that's really all I needed was just to work out how to calm my mind down when I was out in the middle 
wikikeeping wasn't so much the point. I really enjoyed wikikeeping because I get to talk to lots of people and just speak rubbish and that calmed me down and distracted me from what was, you know, any nerves that might be happening. But the batting side of things, which I really wanted to continue to improve and was the area that I'd been, you know, sort of spoken to about one of the, one of the main reasons that I'd been dropped in the first place was, you know, I needed to increase my strike rates and, so, yeah, so I just spoke to a psychologist. She got me a lot calmer in the middle and, yeah, it made a huge difference and I was just so disappointed that I hadn't <laughs> done this a long time ago. So, again, I'm, when I coach, I'm, I'm very conscious of telling that story, which people are probably sick of hearing, but at the same time people understanding that it's, you know, it's such a holistic game. It's not just about the physical side of things. The mental side of the game is such an important part of the game and how you can deal with nerves and how you deal with, pressure and how you deal with these you know extra challenges that are either happening during the game or outside the game and whether they're even real challenges you know you might be just putting those pressures on yourself they might even be real at all so yeah that's that was uh, probably the main the main reason I suppose that I was able to get myself back into that into that group and then and then have a and then be able to play from then onwards as well in, in just a domestic um, league but still be quite successful um, despite trying to manage full-time work after that. And you've just mentioned there the importance of mental health and being mentally sound when playing cricket. Here in England, we have organisations such as the PCA to help with things like that. Is there, is there any sort of support like that in Australia? Yeah, the ACA has been amazing. The Australian Cricket Association, they've been around for a long time. They originally were just for the, the men's programme and they just started to open it up to the women's programme just sort of towards the end of my career. So it was about 2012, 2011, 2012, something around there where they started opening it up to the female playing group at that time who were all playing domestic cricket, which was brilliant. Just, you know, obviously they also assisted with, you know, finding extra work for some of the girls, you know, as well as, you know, assisting with um, grants for education because a lot of the players obviously weren't professional. They were still studying or, you know, trying to get a career in, in something. So they helped enormously with that. And then after a couple of years, after that, I think it might have been two years later, they decided to include any past players as well in the women's group. So they provide enormous amounts of support for the men's and women's teams now. It's And it's, I actually don't even know how we'd probably get by without the ACA now. It's just a, an amazing organisation that really have assisted with that whole process of, of the women's game becoming professional as well. They were really uh, integral in, in driving that with Cricket Australia and, and um, you know, making sure that the girls were looked after um, both on and off the field. So yeah, great work from them. So I'm just going to try and curtail my anger there at the fact that they only felt the need to support the men's mental health, but I've put it in a box. I'll deal with it later. We're through it. They moved on and learnt that women's mental health, men's mental health are just as important as each other and supporting everyone is important. So aside from the cricket side of things, you have had some really tough times in your life, not on the cricket field. You're mother die of cancer and then your cancer diagnosis where you were actually looked after by a McGrath Foundation nurse I see. Did you use the kind of strength that you obviously had to fight back to get onto the pitch in your personal battle there? Yeah probably I probably approached it in a reasonably similar way I didn't I mean obviously it's quite a serious (laughs) diagnosis when you first get it but um, yeah I just sort of wasn't going to stop doing what I was doing and I continued working cricket uh, I was working for Cricket Tasmania at that stage and they were awesome you know they every time I had to go and get a chemo they were extremely supportive let me have the week off and you know and which is what I wanted I didn't want to you know they were happy for me to sort of sit out for the entire process which I was not happy about at all I wanted that distraction and I wanted that 
purpose, I suppose, uh, again, just to be clear about, you know, what I was trying to do every day with the girls. I was coaching Tasmania at the time. And that I think, yeah, and that was before we had a we had a T20 competition. It wasn't the we weren't in the WBBL at that stage. But yeah, I suppose I just approached it, you know, just to be as positive as possible, do everything I needed to do, follow what I what the instructions. I'm very good at following instructions generally. I like rules mostly until I, they don't make sense to me, and then I don't like rules. But yeah, I just yeah I just tried to stay positive through the whole thing. Unfortunately, sort of came out the other side of it pretty well. I had lots of support from the girls and the team were fantastic at the time. I was down in Tasmania, so it was a, I was a little isolated from my fam or well, my dad and my brother who were up in Queensland, and then but Cricket Tasmania sort of had a really good family down there at the time and some really good friends as well. So yeah, managed to get through it all, and yeah, I'm still here today. <laughs> you touched there that you were coaching Tasmania at the time and you retired in 2012 how quickly was it that you got into coaching and was coaching something that you had always considered well I'd always coached because I hadn't really didn't my job I was sort of because I was in and out of jobs all the time having you know traveling with with Australia and you know sort of trying to focus on cricket a fair bit so I'd always traveled so for six years I went overseas in the off season and, and and coached in in Ireland a couple of years in Scotland a couple of years in, in the Netherlands so sort of coaching it sort of firstly it was really good for my my own game initially because it just reinforced really basic simple points and as I said I was so far behind everyone else I was trying to catch up all the time so it was really good to be able to coach and, and be able to assist other girls and boys playing uh, in other countries as well that you know maybe weren't necessarily big country, cricket, cricketing nations at that stage obviously Scotland's doing pretty well in the World Cup um, now and um, and Ireland have all, has been good for a long time as well, but it also helped me pay some bills as well. So it, it was sort of a very uh, it was twofold when I when I did the coaching. So I didn't know if I was ever going to be coaching at a higher level, but I, I sort of after I finished in '05, I, I worked for the Australian Football League up in Queensland for well, and while I was playing for Tasmania, and um, you know, I, I, from that I really got to work with a lot of elite environments and with growing the game and uh, it was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant fun. But then I got offered the job in 2013, a sort of a year after I retired from Tasmania Cricket and I really thought that that was definitely the the avenue I sort of needed to take and the opportunity I needed to take to to get back into cricket because I'd really sort of, you know, missed it after retiring for one year and having played it for so long, it was um, a, a perfect opportunity to get back into coaching and having done it also, have, you know, to have my level three as well so and I did my level three ECB when I was in in England as well so I had plenty of coaching certificates plenty of experience but just I I suppose I'd never just got the opportunity of actually going for for one of those positions and and feeling like I was confident enough to do it and and, uh, very grateful that Cricket Tasmania uh, you know asked me down there for the interview and, and gave me the job. And you talk about you know having the opportunities given to you and people giving you the chance well you made history you know just casually becoming the first female coach of a men's side when you with your mate Darren Lehman in the big bash so could you tell us a bit about how that all came about and you know it must be quite satisfying to be like you know I was the first woman to do that it's pretty cool (laughs) again it's probably just I don't I don't really think about it too much in that way it's just it was actually not necessarily embarrassing but you know I sort of just wanted to go into the radar a little bit which of course it never was going to be because of the fact that yeah I was the first woman to do it but yeah, Buff, I've known I've known Buff for a long time. Actually, I got invited in 2007 to be in Shane Warne's testimonial game at um, the MCG, and that's where I met Buff 
properly. We had a big chat that night about the women's game and why aren't the women playing before the men in T20 and that's how we need to be promoting it. And it was amazing that he was so progressive in his thinking about the women's game at that stage. You know, we still were, you know, we're still lagging a little bit, I suppose, in the in the publicity side of things. We're, we're getting there slowly. Obviously, we won the World Cup in 2005, but but it was interesting to have that conversation. And I sort of, we stayed friends for, you know, a fair while. And obviously he then moved up to Queensland and saw the light and came to Queensland and loved it up there. So, um, you know, so I was at a, um, a barbecue actually with him and we were just discussing it, you know, so he'd been mentioning about coaching the the Brisbane Heat. And I sort of said, sort of as a bit of a joke, well, if you ever need an assistant coach, you know, I'd, um, I'm more than happy to do that. And um, I think it was just over a year later that he actually mentioned it to me, you know, because I'd actually been speaking to him about doing some while I was in Australia in between this the USA um, coaching gig that I'm doing at the moment, just do some some upskilling, I suppose, and just tag along and, and just sort of see what he does and how is it different from different from the, the women's game and, and what sort of things is he, is he bringing to the team and how does he do things. So I was originally going to do that. And then um, I think Ryan Harris had to go to South Africa with the under-19 Australian team, so uh, an opportunity you know, again, I was in the right place at the right time and an opportunity came up for me to, to step up as an assistant coach in that team. And yeah, I was lucky enough to do that. And we had some amazing players in that team that I was able to observe and learn from and have conversations with. And yeah, but a little a little intimidating at the same time, but they were very welcoming and, and you know, I felt part of the group right from, from the start. So it was um, a really great opportunity for me and, you know, they don't come along too often. So happy to sort of grasp that with both hands and um, Hopefully another one in the future may come up again, but at the moment I'm extremely excited about, you know, working with this USA team and it's really exciting what's happening here in the USA as well. So you just take these, take these opportunities when you see them, I suppose. Yeah, and you just touched on it there that, um, you know, it's exciting to be leading the way, but that means that it also paves the way for other people. And it was just announced that Sarah Taylor is going to be taking up a role coaching a men's side. So what did it mean to you to be able to see that and be like, yeah, good, come on girls, there's more of us doing this. Yeah, it's good. It's um, it's you with keepers, isn't it? You've just got something about you. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I don't know. We we always are the mediator between the bowlers and the batters, so I think we're not offending anyone too much. So we just sort of slip under the radar a little. Yeah, no, it's fantastic that she's got that job. It's great. Obviously, she's known for uh, Paul Farbrace for a fair while, so I think that again, sometimes it, you know, it's not. It's not necessarily, it's people understanding you and, and maybe seeing past the fact that you're a female is, you know, that they see the skill set as opposed to the, the sex that you are. So, and that may be more difficult for others that don't know you immediately, they see you as a female. So yeah, it's going to be a great experience for her, no doubt over there. And I think she's in Abu Dhabi, I think it was. So yeah, so brilliant for her. And again, yeah, if it helps inspire lots of other girls, that's fantastic. But at the same time, you know, I, I still am excited about the fact that, I, you know, I'm hoping that. You know, we can also still give back to the, the women's game as well. You know, they still need plenty of really, really good coaches to be able to keep driving them. And, and, and by, doing, by doing that, we're creating more coaches just by having great players as well. So, but yeah, it, it probably just, all it does is probably just break down those, those barriers and those perceptions a little bit by having females cross over into the, into the men's game as well as, uh, you know, as men have always crossed over into the, into the women's game. So I think it just softens that a little bit but the more people we have coaching generally in either the men's or women's games I think is is going to be vitally important that we just continue to encourage that and um, hopefully more of these opportunities come up. And talking quickly about um, females taking on coaching role your ex-former teammate Lisa Kitely 
is now coaching the enemy. She is the England women's head coach. How did you manage that one? Did you send her a thing being like, sorry, you're not on the Christmas card list anymore now? <laughs> no, not at all. Cod is, um, she is an absolute beauty. No, I'm so happy for her. It's, you know, she's been plugging away at this for a long time. She was obviously in England with uh, the academy for a fair number of years and then came back and worked successfully with the Scorchers and the Western Australian team. So to me, it's thoroughly deserved um, her position over there. And, and again, I'm glad it's, you know, a female that's that's got the job of coaching women. There's always this perception, you know, that, that males, you know, have a better knowledge or are better coaching the, the the higher teams. And I just think it's fantastic that the coaches, well, she actually coached the Australian team pretty much the second that she, women's team, and she quit back in, I think it was about 2006 or seven or something like that. It was crazy. And she... She just knew that she wasn't ready to coach. And I like I love Carter's awareness of herself and where she's at. And the fact that she went for that job, I, I knew straight away that she knew that she was ready for it. So I think it's going to be, um, she, she's doing a great job already. She's got a good, really good way. She's not like buddy-buddy with everyone. She's a bit of an odd character, but she's got a fantastic sense of humour. And if you give her the time and get to know her, you know, you, you see a fantastic person underneath her sort of, I'd say shyness maybe, or, you know, it's, She's not really an introvert, but she's sort of, she's a good thinker of the game. And I, th- I think she'll be amazing for England, unfortunately, for us in Australia. But at the same time, we've got Matthew Mott, who's doing an amazing job for us at the moment. So again, it's probably just an example of the best person who got the job in that case. And, um, you know, good luck, good luck to her and, and anyone who's going for those positions, whether they're male or female. I think it's just, you know, great. We're getting to that stage where it's, you know, based on, on purely on ability and skill sets. So yeah, your your good friend Lisa Kitely has taken up the role with England and she's doing bits there. But you are, you know, you you're big news at the moment. You're shining the way with USA women's cricket, which we've all had an eye on. How did you end up there? Did you get approached? Did you did you look into it and be like, you know what, this has got potential? How did it come about? Well, in 2017, myself. Lisa Kiley, Shelley Nitschke, who's now the assistant coach for Australia, and Leah Poulton, who's just had a little baby girl, I think, with Rachel Haynes, which is lovely. Uh, we all got selected to go to America for a um, professional development trip to look at elite environments in, in different sort of organisations. So we all came over for a couple of weeks and travelled around. We went to the Detroit Tigers, Chicago Cubs, uh, Notre Dame, Northwestern University, and then Stanford, as well as the San Francisco Giants baseball and a couple of women's uh, women's softball team in Chicago as well. And it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant fun. But while we're here, we also stopped in in San Jose at the USA Women's Trials for their, their for their national team in 2017. So we sort of got a little bit of an insight into what they were, you know, and they were practicing on this synthetic pitch with foot high grass around them and you know but they were absolutely loving it and I was actually quite not you know probably surprised that their intent to score was a lot better than mine had ever been (laughs) when I was first starting the game so I was really impressed with where they were at and you know they were keen as on playing the game and just very excited about the whole thing and their enthusiasm was quite infectious. So I really enjoyed the you know, so the couple of hours that we had out there, having a couple of drills, just giving some tips and watching them them train for a few hours. So I met a few of the girls then, which was really really good. So came back away from there, didn't really think too much more of it. Then finished my contract in 2018 with Cricket Tasmania. They didn't recontract me, and I was sort of a bit um, trying to work out what I was going to do with my life. And I decided I was just going to travel for six months. So started doing that and then got contacted by 
someone from Cricket Australia who said that, you know, USA Cricket are looking for someone to come and do talent ID again from Cricket Australia in America, in Chicago, in New York. And, you know, you're, I was over that side of the world. I was in uh, Cuba and Guatemala and some weird places finding myself, you know. And um, so, yeah, so I said I'll pop up there and do some talent ID for them. So flew up there, re-met with the, with the men's and the women's team. So re-met with them again and had some good conversations again about, you know, how they can continue to improve and what sort of infrastructure they needed to maybe invest in or how they could um, ensure that the, the girl and then in September that year they gave me a call and said look we're we've decided to advertise for a new coach and would you be interested and I was sort of by that stage just sort of about to come back to Australia to to do some commentary for WBBL and for the first year and it was yeah I was really excited about it because I, I just think there's a lot of potential obviously in the USA the numbers, obviously, for one, but the fact that it's just such a, a sporting country, they love sport, they embrace it really, really easily and jump on board with it. The girls were keen as. So, yeah, so I went, went for the interview and, and got the interview in, in sort of early 2018, uh, 2019, which was exciting. You know, it just uh, really appealed to me in the fact that the, the sport was going to be, I think, I felt really easy to grow and, and it was so new. You know, there was a real opportunity for, for me to be able to create some pathway programs and to really set it up in a sort of best practice manner that was going to make it a, a sport that was going to be big in, in the USA. And you've just touched there on the fact that America and the USA is such a sporting nation. What has the support been like from fans and do they often get it confused with baseball? <laughs> they often get it confused with croquet, in fact. They cricket and croquet, I know. I think it's more the spelling or the pronunciation as opposed to the style of the sport. <laughs> I'd hope anyway but yeah I mean obviously we use baseball a lot to describe what cricket's like and at the moment we've probably got a fairly big fan base of sort of Indian Pakistani and West Indian sort of fans at the moment uh we're obviously looking to expand that by by our game development manager he's been doing an amazing job uh, I'll give him a shout out Jamie Lloyd he's been massively under the pump but he's doing a a lot of work with trying to get cricket into schools and into the curriculum at the moment so that we can really get it the sport into mainstream America. Obviously, at the moment, we're sort of relying on those countries that have already had uh, a lot of expats here or people that have moved over here, relying on their sort of, you know, traditional uh, nature of supporting cricket. But uh, as soon as we start getting into the schools, I think it's going to be an enormous sport over here, you know, for the USA. And obviously, they're also looking at trying to get it into the LA Olympics in 2028, which again, I think the Americans love their Olympics. And I think once it becomes an Olympic sport, I think they'll all be jumping on board trying to, to work out how they can potentially be in that uh, national team, whether it's the men's or women's team, to, to compete in that, in that Olympics. So there's a few things that are sort of coming up at the moment. We're really sort of driving the game a lot over here and, and trying to, as I said, broaden our, our fan base uh, as well as our participation base as well and, and how do we get kids and adults um, either playing the game or enjoying the game in some manner. Yeah, and so looking to the future, we and the past, the, the near past. So we're looking ahead to the qualifiers for the World Cups. In the USA, you've had a pretty, you've had some great America's qualifiers in Mexico. You finished first place 5-1. So that means you go to the World T20 qualifiers next year. But you've also got the 50 over qualifiers. It's all coming thick and fast, really, isn't it? So... You've recently announced the squad for that one. And like we mentioned earlier, very young squad. But what excites you about this squad at the moment? And what do you think the potential could be for their future? Well, I think one, it's, I mean, like you said, it is a young squad. Um, but we've got a 
good balance actually where it's actually been really challenging this year we've we've had to I mean we've selected we had eight debutantes at the T20 qualifiers which obviously meant there are a lot of people who missed out on the team which to me is a is a good thing I mean they they were all competing this year we had a great domestic pathway which I think is probably sort of the backbone of of what's why our our team is going to do well they had a they had more cricket this year than they had previously the girls were all tested under pressure. They played really good competitive cricket. Players that had been in the team previously were really pushed and challenged. They weren't just going to walk into the team like they sort of had in the past through a trial system. They had to come through an entire process, and this domestic pathway was a perfect way of doing that. We got to see them in plenty of op- different opportunities, playing with different teams, different potentially different situations, different conditions, and, and maybe even different roles for some of them. So I think that's why we, when we got to the... Um, the nationals it was a it was a really not necessarily easy selection but we could certainly see the ones that were standing out and how they were going to work how they were going to be able to adapt and and work in different conditions one being in mexico which no one's ever played in mexico before and then secondly the next team would be obviously going to zimbabwe where majority of people haven't played either before so the exciting thing about it is a lot of the girls particularly the ones that, obviously the ones we've selected and there's plenty below them as well that we weren't able to select. Everyone's sort of really buying into this new process of being challenged and pushing themselves and being committed and their fitness has improved enormously and they're training, you know, regularly with our program. You know, on our Zoom meetings, they're doing plenty of analytical um, stuff that's in, in improving their understanding of where their field positions should be when they're bowling. What are our tactics during a game? What's my role as a fielder? How do I understand the the planning of my innings as a batter, you know, all that sort of stuff is really stuff they've had to work on for the last sort of two years and, and why we're in a, a much better space now than where we were two years ago, And as you'd hope. And, and I think every team would be looking to improve constantly like that. But we've now got girls challenging and, you know, they're upset that they're not in the team, but but they're not just, you know, spitting the dummy and, and walking away. A lot of these players are, are working harder and harder knowing that if they want to play for this American team, they've they've got to do all these additional things. And I think... That's only a good thing that's going to make this team, you know, continually, continually driven. The girls that are in the team now know that they've got people behind them and the girls that are not in the team are the one they can see where they need to be. So it's a, it's a really good position to be in right at the moment. And the fact that it's such a young group with a, a few of our older ones that are still there, it's a really nice mix of, of some of that experience coming through to settle down some of the younger ones, but the younger ones bringing this energy and this excitement um, that really lifts and, and sort of drags along the older ones when they're dragging their feet a bit, when they're like, oh, we have to do another team bonding thing, you know, but they, you know, they get into it in the end and it's just a really nice balanced group at the moment. And um, you mentioned there that you've got a nice mix of youth and experience. Who are the players that we should be looking out for? Because obviously in England, we know about Tara Norris and what she can do, but who are the other players that we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, well, Tara was awesome, so I'll just say that now. She was really good for the group. We knew she would be. Obviously, she brings a lot of professional with, professionalism with her. All the girls have absolutely loved her. She's got a brilliant sense of humour, and she was she was an easy fit in with the group. But at the same time, she makes it seem easy, that professionalism. It's not like a chore or anything like that. So I think that's going to have a massive impact on a lot of the girls to keep dragging them along. Uh, we've got a couple of good little ones that have come starting to come through. Our youngest in the group is a girl called um, Anika Colin. Anika's wicketkeeper bat. She works a lot with Sindhu Shahasha, who's our captain, and who's also the wicketkeeper bat. And she she's a little mini me of Sindhu, which is great that she's had such a good role model. And Sindhu's been working with her for sort of five or six years now, since she was sort of under nines, I think, or under eights. She'll be awesome. She she batted four for us, which is you know pretty hard position, I suppose, for a young kid. 
in in the 50 over we're sort of trying to work out our order at the moment but you know she's a, a confident young girl moves the feet beautifully to spinners but just has a pretty good head on her shoulders very mature and, and we also gave her an opportunity of captain in our under 19 nationals this year and, and, did a, and she did an amazing job as one of the younger players there one of our other players suhani thadani had a fantastic t20 carnival in mexico just is a very, very economical bowler, very understanding of what she needs to do. Still got plenty of work to do on developing her variations, but she's got a, you know, her stock ball is is spot on and, and she knows how to, to make sure that she's bowling that bang on every time when we needed her to in the in Mexico. So she picked up a heap of wickets just purely from consistency and um, just the, the way that she goes about her game is is great. And obviously we had the new ball at some on some occasions as well. So a big Big fair bit of pressure for her in the T20s. And one other young kid who probably didn't have her best tournament in, in Mexico, but I rate extremely highly is she's also 16. She's Lasani Vigella. And her brother also plays at quite a high level. He played in the minor league recently. Um, the left arm orthodox. Uh, he's a, a great player as well, but she's just such a good athlete. She's one of our, our fittest, you know, got nearly 18, I think, in the yo-yo recently. Very quiet, very difficult to get her to speak, but a really good thinker of the game. She's an all-rounder, but we didn't really play her as an all-rounder at the moment. We're just playing her as a bat just so she can focus on that role. But her bowling is going to be outstanding. We're just just tweaking a few things with her at the moment. But she's so keen to do the best that she possibly can and just a lovely, lovely kid. So we've got three really good youngsters coming up there. I mean, I probably could mention all of them, but those three particularly I'm really excited about coming through our system. And, you know, and there's plenty more underneath there. We've got a few 13-year-olds that we found this year which still aren't eligible to play in ICC events, which we're very excited about, who are sort of sitting in the wings at the moment. But we'll obviously we're trying to work on our squads for next year at the moment and hopefully we can sort of work out how we can include a few new ones and keep you know all these young girls that are coming through motivated and inspired to to keep working hard to get into these squads eventually and these young girls are definitely making a big difference on a lot of these young kids coming through and also we can see how much they're enjoying it and I think that's quite infectious really like I saw a video of from the America's qualifiers, you know, USA, Canada, Brazil, who everyone, you know, we all know a bit about how much fun Brazil are having while they're playing and you're all getting involved, you're all singing. And I think that's what the beauty of this is. And it shows that yes, the talent and the skill is there, but also everyone is loving it at the same time, which is so nice to see. And so obviously you won't have you, your friends from over there playing in the qualifiers because you beat them already. But looking into the global qualifiers, what do you think the prospects are for your side there? And who do you think are going to be the toughest teams to take on? Yeah, well, the 50 over qualifiers is a whole different ball game for us, literally. I mean, the girls hadn't really played much 50 over cricket. Some of the younger ones um, girls had. Obviously, they play a little bit with the boys and therefore they get to play that. But generally, the women's game is all about T20. So... Yeah, it's going to be a challenge for us just sort of getting the a strategy and the tactics and the understanding of how to play 50 over cricket. The good thing again is you now we've got a, a few older players who have played the 50 over game before. So we're going to be really leaning on them to really help drive that. Obviously, Tara will be there as well, having played in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Cup as well and won that final. So personally, I feel she should have got play of the match in that as well. She did really well, 40 not out as well as a couple of wickets. But I think, yeah, the 50 over game's just going to be... A learning experience for us. Obviously, we're, we've got Pakistan and Bangladesh in our pool. As far as I'm aware at this stage, both of them are going to be extremely tough. You know, Pakistan, very good one-day team, played a lot more cricket than we have. But at the same time, this is a perfect opportunity for us to learn from it. also what our opposition are doing to us and how, because we've been, as I mentioned, we've been really working on our analysis of opposition and 
and observation and what other what are uh, what are they doing how are they trying to score how are they trying to get us out all those sort of things so this is a perfect opportunity for us to to take that away whether we can turn it around immediately out in the middle of a game and be able to put it in place straight away or we just can discuss it post game but again it's just that learning experience for us to make sure that we're spending plenty of time out in the middle we're doing all the basics right we have set plans that we want to stick to and making sure we're playing the game the way that we want to come away with saying yes that's a, a great op- that's exactly how we wanted to to perform those um, skills in the game and then work on how we can improve for the next game and the next game by taking that on but obviously it's going to be a bit of a test, but at the same time, we feel, you know, Zimbabwe and Thailand are both in our pool. They're probably going to have similar. Zimbabwe, maybe not so much. They've just played a, a couple of ODI series, but Thailand definitely are a T20 team and an excellent one at that. But I feel that, you know, we're both sort of in the same boat with the 50 over game. We haven't played it a lot of it, but such a great opportunity again. We talk about these opportunities the whole chat so far, but it's another great opportunity for us to, to really explore, have plenty of time out in the middle for the girls to really get big scores, to bowl longer spells and to really start to understand the tactical nature of what 50 over cricket is and how that compares to T20. I have no qualms with talking about opportunities all the time because the more opportunities you have, the more players we have, the more women's cricket we have, and the happier I am. So that's it. And we're all about mental health. So we obviously don't want to keep you forever while you're having a little bit of a break and getting your mind into those 50 overs coming up. But we do like to finish off these podcasts with a little quick fire round so we, we quite often start off with Hannah's favourite one, which is, what is your favourite sledge? Oh, my As favorite. a wiki keeper, I'm really hoping for a good one here. Oh my goodness, I probably I can't guarantee this is going to be good. My favourite sledge that I've done or just anyone's? Anyone's. Mm. Well, I suppose the, the big, my favourite one, I suppose, was Merv Hughes a long time ago with the you know, the, the, I, think it was, I think it was England that was saying that he was a, a fat bus driver when he was playing. And then when he, when he ended up getting out, the person who said that, he ran past them and he said, tickets, please. So, I mean, it was, it was really, really, really good. So I love smart sledging. So sledging doesn't have to be nasty. Sledging can be funny like that. So Hannah's other favourite one is favourite tea item at a cricket tea. You see, the funny thing is in Australia, well, particularly Brisbane, or we don't have, we don't do this. We don't do tea. I know. But I would say any, any cake possible, I would, I would be on to. <laughs> I, love, I love a cake. Interesting. Weird that you don't do tea. I was thinking meat pie with your tomato sauce on top or your lamingtons, your Tim Tams. Are the biscuits no. available? We're not being Well, it's in, Queen, in Queensland, everything melts. So, you know, it, it goes off if you're playing one day cricket. So you, it's going to go off if you have anything out in the middle of nowhere in a field in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah, no teas in Queensland. Cool. No wonder you left and went to America. Well, <laughs> the last TV series you binged. You know, I haven't even watched TV since I've been over here, which just says a lot about American TV. I'm going to say Handmaid's Tale. Last book you read. I'm actually in the middle of one at the moment. It's called Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton. And it's actually about, he's a journalist, but he's from Brisbane. So it's all about the um, Brisbane drug scene in the 80s. <laughs> Neighbours or Home and Away? Oh, Jesus, neither. Home and Away. Yeah, you've got to love Home and Away. You've got to love a bit of Alf Stewart. He's still there, surprisingly. <laughs> he's just like part of the furniture at this point. Favourite ground you've played at? I would say Adelaide Oval. Ground you would like to play at or like to have played at? Mm, that's a good question. Where would I like to play? I'm going to be futuristic and say the 
in the LA Olympics, one one of the uh, we'll say Woodley Park in in L in um, LA. Love that. Favorite person you've dismissed. Now, when you say favorite person, I like this person, or the per- I'm very happy that I got them out. Very happy you got them out. <laughs> I'm going to say Karen Rolden in the Nets. She was my absolute bunny as a as a bowler. <laughs> favorite drink, alcoholic or otherwise. Yeah, I'd say a McLaren Val Shiraz. Ooh, check you out. You fancy. <laughs> Ash's prediction. Oh, if you guys are going to turn up or not. <laughs> I will say it'll be, oh, my word, 3-1 Australia. Cats or dogs? Or kangaroos? Any are welcome. <laughs> I'm a wombat fan, but I would say uh, I'd and say you've got to dog. love a quokker. Everyone loves a quokker. Who doesn't love a quokker? Exactly. Uh, no, I'd say dogs. I think, although I do love cats as well, but dogs. Fair enough. Favorite genre of music? Uh, yacht rock. And uh, favorite musician or artist? I'm going to say ballpark music. So Brisbane, Brisbane band. You mentioned the hundred earlier. Who were you supporting? Now you're scaring me. I don't know if I supported anyone. I just I was, it was supporting cricket generally. <laughs> Sad. I didn't actually have a team. You're not trying to go into a career in politics, are you? That sounds like <laughs> no, Definitely not. Um, Including Tara Norris, who from the USA team would you like to see play in the 100? Oh, nice. I would say Girika Kadali. Nice. Well, I think I've... Oh, what surprised you most about America? And you can't say the size of all their snacks. <laughs> what surprised me? The, mo- the most surprising thing about America is they are actually super nice people and they're super friendly. And I think they get a little bit of a bad rap from all the stuff that goes on on TV. They're actually a really, really, really nice, friendly people and they, they want to do, do a lot for you. They're very generous. And what do you miss most about Australia? People with my sense of humour, I think. It gets very lost over here. Sarcasm straight over the head? Correct, yeah, completely. Alex, you got any more? Or we... I think, I think we're good on the uh, question front. Just quickly, Julia, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find the USA women's cricket team if they want to follow their journey? That's a very good question and I'd have to look it up. but um. I'm on, I'm on Twitter and uh, Insta and USA Cricket are definitely on both of those. What the site is, I have no idea. It's USA Cricket, by the way. So you can answer that one again. So they're just USA Cricket. Perfect. Just do that one, yeah. Sorry, not much help there. I'm not, I'm not amazing on those sort of things, I have to admit. But uh, at the same time, I think all our games will be live streamed as well from Zimbabwe, which will be brilliant. So looking forward to that. Yeah. So just to clarify for our listeners there, you can find Julia at Julia underscore price one. And you can find USA Cricket on Twitter as at USA Cricket. So just watch your followers rock it. So yeah, I think that's everything from us. Just a massive, huge thank you to Julia for joining us today from your Holly Bobs early in the morning. You're going to need that morning coffee. I need an evening coffee. And it's been amazing to hear about you've had the most incredible career playing, coaching, coping with everything you've managed in your life. It's just been amazing. And now to see you at the helm of USA Women's Cricket, looking towards that LA Olympics, we'll be there because of flight. 
And it's been amazing to hear what you're doing. And thank you so much for joining us on Women's Cricket Chat today. No worries at all. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Massive thank you to Julia for coming on and being a guest on the podcast. It was really interesting to hear about her coaching technique and what it was like to be the only woman so far to coach in the Men's Big Bash. We also wish her and Team USA all the luck in the world trying to qualify for the World Cup. And also, we really do hope that cricket becomes an Olympic sport for the Olympics in 2028. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat, on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. If you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow, then it's at Hannity1194, at GeorgiaHeath27, at CassieCoombs98, and I'm at Alistair Pereira on Twitter. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time. Shut up.